How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers, I would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming The church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the next episode of The Church Needs Therapy. Now this week I'm going to be doing something quite a bit different than all the other episodes because when people are doing therapy, it's really hard work. When you're doing the deep soul work, when you're facing the things within you that most people spend their entire lives trying to avoid, when you're feeling through the things that most people never want to fully face and feel in their lives. That is deep and heavy and takes up so much space in your heart and takes up so much energy that sometimes after you go to therapy for a while or if you have a particularly weighty, intense session where you're doing some real uncovering, some real feeling through some things, Sometimes you just need a break or you need a night out with friends or you need a great meal or you need to just do something to or you need somebody to encourage you and offer you and offer you comforting words as you're working through your life. Just recently, there's a young man who I've known for a long time who texted me and said, I just recently started my journey of therapy. I never realized how much there was for me to heal from. I know there's a, you know, my wife who actually is a therapist. She does this, there's this one uh, therapeutic technique, this process to deal with trauma called EMDR. If you've never heard of it, look it up. It's this fascinating technique that, that therapists use for people who have dealt with trauma. And I remember my wife telling me a story that one of her clients, after doing a pretty intense EMDR session where you're seeing things you've repressed, things are coming up, you, you didn't even know were pushed down into the shadow of your life. And she told me after an intense session, this girl she was working with just had to snap out of it and say like, I, we can't, we can't keep going on. I'm going to puke right now. This person's doing such real soul work, it's almost making them throw up because of how intense it is. And there's also this great friend of ours who herself is a psychologist and a therapist who has, you know, high level degrees in this field. And she, I'm going to change her name for this story. Okay, let's say her name's Mary, right? And she told us that when she was going to counseling, when she was going to therapy, and she would have a particularly painful or heavy session, especially doing EMDR trauma work, she says afterwards, she would sort of say this to herself or to her friends jokingly, where she'd say, little Mary needs some fried chicken after that. <laughs> 
little Mary wants to go to KFC. And she would say to us as a very self-aware joke, but it was also the half-serious part of, when I've done that real work, I just need to put some, I just need to grind on something. I need to not forget about it, but I I just need to rest for a second. And so after the interviews and after a, a couple Donald Trump episodes, I thought to myself, I can't do that again this week. The Trump stuff for the church is such heavy, entangled stuff to work through. I thought, you know what? We've been doing some great work here. Let's do something a little bit different today. Let me offer a word of encouragement for the people who are following along in this journey as we collectively together sort of take this journey of therapy with the church. So I want to read from 2 Timothy 1-2. It's this short greeting that Paul offers to this young leader, Timothy, but I think there's so much power in this really short place. So 2 Timothy 1-2, Paul writes, To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And by the way, if there's any Bible scholars saying, well, Paul didn't technically write that, that's great. But for this episode, he did. So Paul wishes Timothy grace, mercy, and peace. And at the core of this greeting, what exactly is he desiring for him? Because maybe what he's desiring for him in that moment in his journey might be what God desires for us at this moment in our journey. So let's begin with this word grace, right? This great word grace connected with the Greek word charis, which means gift, right? Or or it can mean favorably disposed or to lean towards or to extend favor to somebody, right? All these words refer to a God freely extending himself toward people. It's like God has this unchanging disposition towards blessing this world. And in a culture where so many people, including Christians, have this punitive, punishing, very angry, intense view of God, grace means that at the heart of all of this is us waking up and realizing that God is not only present with us, but completely for us. That's why I would say this. Grace means God has created a universe that is favorably disposed in your direction. Right? Let's let's even look at let's look at a little bit of physics for a second. Right? The laws of physics from the very beginning of the universe 13.8 billion years ago had to be so specific, so precise, so finely tuned for even the possibility of carbon-based life to come into being that it's almost mathematically impossible for any of us to even exist today, right? One of the four fundamental forces of nature which operates within the nucleus of the atom is called this, it's this concept of a weak nuclear force. And this weak nuclear force is so finely tuned within an atom that a change of only one part out of 10, it looks like a triangle and there's a hundred after. I stopped paying attention to math in fifth grade, so I don't even know what to say it. 
but 10 something of 100 at the time of this initial formation of the universe would have prevented a life-permitting universe from forming. So here's what I know what this means, though. It wasn't 0.1, it wasn't 0.01, but it was point a hundred zeros and then one. If it was that even that little small percentage off, then life itself would not exist in this universe. That is where my daughter would say, wow. Right? The universe is favorably disposed toward life, and grace means that God is favorably disposed towards you. So when Paul talks about grace, it's not just that the universe has been fine-tuned for life itself to exist. He's saying our whole world has been created by a source that is favorably disposed towards you. He's saying that the grace of God is as wide as the universe and as deep as the human heart. Grace is recognizing that God is on your side. This is why the great poet and mystic Rumi says, live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. And of course that doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. Of course that doesn't mean there's going to be no pain. Of course that doesn't mean life isn't going to be hard. But Paul begins with his deep desire that Timothy would trust in this permeating reality of grace in this universe. That he would trust that, that, that belief in God means that you believe in a God that has created a world that is rigged in our favor. That God is still actively involved in our world and working on his behalf or working on our behalf all the time. So grace is about living as if everything is rigged in your favor because God is for us and he's just waiting for us to trust that a bit more. Even when the circumference or the circumstances of your life are challenging, the center of all of this is still grace. So let's look at this second word from 2 Timothy 1. He wishes him grace and he also wishes him mercy. This word mercy is this Greek word elios. And what's amazing in the power of this word is that it's actually a word that expresses loyalty in God's covenant. So when God makes a covenant with people, this word elios or mercy is directly connected to it. And what's powerful is it's not first about our loyalty to God. It's about God's loyalty to us. See, mercy is a part of the vocabulary of the covenant. On God's side, it stands for the steadfast love, one that is able to keep alive a relationship forever, regardless of what happens on the other side of the covenant. Mercy is about God's rugged commitment to humanity. Mercy expresses God's absolute and unwillingness to give up on the world and to give up on you. Mercy is God's refusal to ever give up on us. Now, uh, I'm in a relationship where my wife absolutely loves rom-coms. We don't watch them all the time anymore. 
But when we were younger, we used to watch a ton of rom-coms. And for me, it's not that I hate them. It's just that I lose interest because they all have the same plot. All they do is change a couple actors, change the city, and change the people's jobs, and then change the conflict. But it's the same arc. It's the same story every time. They meet. It's unexpected, but it's cute. Things are going great. There's a big challenge. Will they overcome it? (gasps) They do. And then the movie ends with them being happy. It's the same thing. But this different kind of rom-com that my wife and I watched years ago, I think it's called, is it, I think it's Sex and Other Drugs. Is that right? Or Sex, Love, and Other Drugs. I kind of forget now with Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal. And it's really this powerful story because Anne Hathaway's character is dealing with early onset Parkinson's, even in her late 20s. And then Jake Gyllenhaal's character is sort of this sociopathic, no empathy businessman who doesn't care about anything or whatever. But they meet and it's powerful and they connect. And for the first time, he feels totally seen by somebody else for who he truly is and it changes his life. And while they're connecting, so much of the heart of the story is Anne Hathaway pushing away Jake Gyllenhaal because she knows eventually she's going to lose all of her motor skills. Her body is going to start to wither because of the, 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 the condition that she has. So she knows one day I'm going to need somebody to take care of me. No one's ever going to be here in the end to take care of me. So I'm going to push everybody away who gets close so you don't have a chance to reject me in the end, right? We That's a common thing that we do. And there's this last scene that I just even recently pulled up on YouTube. Not even the whole movie, just the scene. And just the scene disconnected from the story already was getting me all choked up. Because after pushing him away, Jake Gyllenhaal tracks down Anne Hathaway's character. They're having this powerful moment where he's saying, you know, you need me. And she's saying, no, I don't. And he kept saying, yes, you do. And and he said, you need me. And she said, no, I don't. And they kind of kept going back and forth. See, but it's this powerful. They come together. It's a spoiler. That movie's like 10 years old. But see, at the end of it, it's not that she doesn't need him. It's that she doesn't allow herself to be a person who is in need because she doesn't believe our world has anyone or anything that can actually care for her or provide for her needs. Yeah, it's so when you see that scene, it's so powerful when they finally connect and embrace. I think to myself, why? Why is that so powerful to see that, to see those people coming together? See, it's not just romantic love working out. It's the power of having someone fight for you and show up for you and be there for you no matter what. In that life-defining, impossible moment to choose to love and be with someone knowing you're going to watch them get worse and worse, he commits to be there for her no matter what even if he has to carry her around. He shows that rugged commitment to a person that we all long for. And it's like when we see it, something within us leaps and knows that's where life really is. 
See, even though we want novelty, what we really desire is fidelity. See, mercy is when God shows up for you when you don't even have the energy to show up for yourself. Mercy is God fighting for you when you feel like you're getting tired of fighting alone. Mercy is God's longing to create new life in you when you're struggling to have the courage to keep going. Mercy is that moment when you say, I'm done. But keep your heart open long enough to feel that the spirit is just getting started. What a different world we live in when we trust that there is, there is one that keeps fighting for us, that keeps showing up for us, that keeps moving in, keeps coming close, keeps forgiving, keeps welcoming, and keeps working on our behalf. Because mercy means we live in a world that's very different than we've thought. And this last word that Paul wishes for Timothy is peace. Let's check in for a second. Are you with me so far? As we take this break from therapy and the intensity of dealing with the church's issues with Donald Trump and facing all of those things, grace, mercy, and peace, it's a simple reminder that this is all for you. Right. So this word peace, this Greek word irene, which comes from two different Greek words, comes from the word iro, which means to join and to tie together in a whole. Or it comes from one word, sorry, it's this it's the, the root word Iro means to join or to tie together into a whole. It's this movement towards wholeness. See, when all of these different parts are joined together into a whole, that's this movement towards peace. It's Irene is, is like this journey that is constantly moving toward oneness. It's that they would welcome this move of the Holy Spirit that exists to put things within them back together. See, one of the main things the Spirit does in our world is take things that are separate and put them back together. Paul wants Timothy to know that all of the separate parts can be brought back together. Everything can be healed. Anything can be unified. Life in Christ is a movement toward feeling more whole, more at home, more together, and it's a movement towards greater and greater wholeness in God, with each other and with ourselves. Now, each year in our church, Imagine, we do this really powerful thing at Good Friday. And what we do is we read from the Stations of the Cross, which for those of you who aren't familiar, it's like the last 13 or 14 moments of Jesus's life leading up to the crucifixion. So we read those moments in Jesus's life, and then we do this night and this art of storytelling of people in our community. So people share personal stories that are connected with Jesus's stories in the Passion. So Jesus has a moment where he's betrayed and somebody tells a story when they were betrayed. Or Jesus has a moment when his closest friends abandon him and someone else tells a story when their friends or family abandon them. It's this powerful whole movement journey that we do in our church. And this one young man a couple years ago, he told this story of this absolute traumatic news that he got how it made him feel like his whole life would fall apart, how he would question, you know, it would affect the relationships with his family. It would check the, it would affect the relationships he had with everybody 
And it was this devastating story. And he said how it was, it was starting to break down his own health and sort of the health of relationships around him. And as he was telling the story, every time he would talk about something hard, he would drop a plate on the ground and we would all hear and watch it shatter. So you see my future drop a plate. It would be shattered. Everything I thought about what I would do, drop a plate and it shattered. My relationship with this person, drop a plate and it shattered. And he went on in the story to say for the first time, you know, with his relationship with the church, his life in Christ and with God, he was starting to feel and believe that all those pieces could be put back together. But also what was so powerful that night was when he was dropping those plates all over the floor and they were shattering, right when he was done telling his story, immediately multiple people from the church got up out of their seats and started picking up all of the pieces of the plates and giving them back to where he was and putting them in the same place. And when I saw that, I'm like, that is the peace that God desires for all of us. It's the broken pieces of our life being picked up and put back together through the people who love us and who are around us and through God's spirit working in and through those people. It was like they were doing symbolically in the moment the very thing he said the spirit of God was doing for him in his life. See, peace means that God is in the business of putting broken things back together. God can put families back together. God can put relationships back together. God can put broken hearts back together after relationships end. God can put what felt like failed dreams back together. God can put a future we gave up on back together. Peace is the, is the movement of things being put back together. And that's what Paul wishes for Timothy because everything he's going to go through as a leader, all of the pain, all of the betrayal, all of the disappointment, all of the resistance he's going to meet. Paul says, you need to become a person who knows every time it falls apart, it can be put back together. So if you're listening today, that is a simple word for you. That is actually three words that originally came from Paul. Grace, mercy, and peace. So today, when you're listening in, you might need to trust in grace a little bit more. You might need to dare to risk that the universe is favorably disposed toward life and God is favorably disposed towards you. Would you trust grace a little bit more today? And for those of you who hear that word mercy, my mercy is God's refusal to ever give up on us. Even if those people walk away, the presence of God is still in you. Even if that doesn't work out, the presence of God is still fighting for you. Even when you don't have the strength to fight on your own, God's presence is fighting for you, even when you don't have the ability to do that for yourself. So would some of you, when you hear that word mercy, just open yourself up and entrust yourself to a universe that is filled with mercy which means the whole energy of all of this is a love that refuses to ever give up on you are worth being fought for you are worth somebody really 
putting their life on the line for you? Would you trust and know that today? Or for the last one piece, some of you just need to know that after all this, things can be put back together, that your future will be put back together, that your career and your vocation will be put back together, that your, it's your health, your, that your psychological and emotional and spiritual health can be put back together because peace means that God is in the business of putting broken things back together. So we will we'll be back next week with an interview with Aaron Nequist. The week after that, we might, because, you know, the therapy, even though it's hard, it doesn't end. So we might finish our last episode on Trump the week after that, do some more interviews, and we'll keep going. But I just wanted to take a break this week for some encouragement, for some comfort, for some love, and to believe in the power of these words in our life, even as we do this work together. So would you leave today knowing that grace, mercy, and peace are for you?